Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yeah, basically we're regular dudes drinking regular beer and we're talking about magic, in particular the online client MTG Arena. Yeah, and today is my favorite episode. I know I say this like every week. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we're doing a drunken Vorthos. Uh, this is Kamigawa Myths and Legends. Um, basically, uh, Vorthos is like the lore. So we're talking all about the magic story today. But it wouldn't be a drunken Vorthos episode without being a silver series. That's right. So longtime fans know that here on the Arena Regulars, we rate our beers on a scale of bronze to mythic, just like the tiers in Arena. Oh, and on that scale, silver happens to represent macro brews. So these are kind of the generic brews that are replaceable. And so when we say a silver series, we got to pit four well-known beers against each other and then rank those from silver four up to silver one, which you might notice are also indicative of tears in arena. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, so as, as always, anyone obviously understands, uh, silver four is the worst and silver one is the best. Makes sense. I think that makes sense. Lower number is better. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's like golf. So with that, what's on tap? Uh, all right. So the first beer um, is going to be Stiegel. This is their Gold Brow. Gold Brow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you say that word. 100%. You Pretty said that sure. right. And we're not actually not going to mispronounce anything in this podcast, this oh, episode. That's no, sure. no, no. Specifically, yeah, this one's the easiest <laughs> one. Uh, everything's really easy to pronounce. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so this is a lager from Austria. It's 5.1%, and this beer started in 1492. Ooh. Wowza. So we got, to, we got an old one. Uh, with the Silver Series, we like to go oldest to newest. So um, starting off with an oldie but a goodie. Or oldie, I guess. I don't know if it's good. We'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't even the oldest one we've done, but whenever we do these European beers, they go way back. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. It, it was Christ drinking this? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, magic news. Before we get started, we have uh, the double feature on Arena is coming from January 28th to February 10th, which um, this product seemed to be really exciting at first. It's, uh, it's a draft format where... The packs have both Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow cards in them. I'm pretty sure it's a even 50-50 split, uh, and each pack has two rares in it. Um, and all the cards are like black and white. Um, but uh, it had some controversy because it seemed like it was going to be a cool curated set, when in fact I believe that it's just both full sets smashed together. Um, right. So maybe not as exciting, but on Arena, it, it does look pretty good. And you get twice as many Bramble armors this way, so. Sick. And whatever that wolf is yeah. called. Uh, yeah, it seems like a cool way to kind of bid adieu to the uh, Innistrad pair of sets. Is a, a cool way to draft them both at the same time. I had fun with the double sealed event during the Decathlon. That was mm-hmm. more fun than I thought it was going to be. So I'd, I'd be willing to give this a shot. I'm curious how bomb-centric it's going to be because you have all the rares from Crimson Vow, but it's kind of watered down with the rares from Midnight Hunt. Mm-hmm. So But you get two a pack, so that it's like, I don't even know. What's this going to be like? Yeah, so we'll have to see. Um, I guess you still get the same rate of like Crimson Vow bombs as you normally would in a Crimson Vow draft. So Maybe. I don't know what the... like you know, distribution is between the two sets if there's more rares in one or whatever, but oh, oh you're probably right. about about the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, the prize structure, or the entry fee is a normal one for a, a premier draft, but the prizes are a little bit skewed because when you join, you get a free Dracula card style. Um, I guess it's not free. It's part of your, you're paying for it, but you are paying for it because the prizes are worse. So you're yes. paying what, like on average, a hundred gems or something for it because your the prizes are all shifted down by one or 200 gems. Yep. I think, so I think maybe just straight 100 actually. Yeah. It, I think it's something like that, but, um, in any case, uh, yeah, seems like a good time. Got a got a fun thing to do before Neon Dynasty comes out. But you know what is another fun thing to do before Neon Dynasty comes out? What's that? It's talk about the what happened last time we were at Kamigawa. And, and since last time. And since last time. Yeah, you're right. So, whew, boy, it has been a long time since we've been there. Um, things happened in that block and after it into what the 1200 years uh that we're in now we're gonna go to this new kamigawa 1200 years after we were there so we're gonna get you caught up right now let's start it off jeff what's uh <laughs> where do we start maybe we could just start explaining a little bit about kamigawa in the first place like who are the kami and who are the people that who are the gawa yeah, exactly. Who are the kami? Who are the gawa? <laughs> I'm going to call all the people on the plane gawa now from now on. Um, yeah. I'm sure that it means something else. I did not look that up. But uh, so if you're not familiar, Kamigawa is a Japanese feudal inspired plane. Uh, so it has a lot of the same um, architecture and art style, as well as like samurai and ninja and all these kinds of uh, different characters. And uh, the kami are basically the spirits that live in their spirit realm, which is like a separate place. Um, but they do happen to influence uh, the, the gawa, as we're going to call them, um, on the right. plane. Um, <laughs> but they do have a very distinct two separate worlds. Yeah, I remember the kami spirit realm is, is kakuryo. Mm. Kakuryo, because it's, it always makes me think of uh, Kakuriko Village from uh, The Legend <laughs> That's of what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remembered that it was close to that, but not that. But not um, that. <laughs> which I just loved, because they were like, they literally just named this after like a, a, a chicken rooster's cry or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. got roosters here? Yeah, uh, called nope. Kakuriko Village. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, of all the different people that live on the plane, there's a bunch of different races. Uh, we go into more depth on this a couple episodes ago, so check that out if you're interested in hearing more about that. But basically, we have like humans and Nazubi, which are the rats. There's some moon folk uh, and like snakes and stuff. Exactly, yeah. We kind of explained the last time that it's there's a little bit of like weirdo tribal going on in this set where they gave a lot of tribes that don't traditionally had before this didn't traditionally have like a lot of members their own time in the sun so you had like rat tribal and snake tribal that wasn't really a thing before i think the most normal things here are humans and goblins relative to like magic's other planes exactly um also because the snakes in this uh on this plane have legs and four arms so um a bit of controversy at the time, actually, that, uh, that they actually have legs. So so I actually think that they don't have legs anymore. They had legs in original Kamigawa, and by the time we get to modern day or the 12,000 years, like, I don't think they have legs in Neon Dynasty. Yeah, which we'll also talk about <laughs> a little bit later in this episode. Um, yeah. 
But anyway, so the main story revolves around this Kami war that we're in the middle of when we go to the plane. So all of Kamigawa block originally, they're, already, they're in the Kami war and it kind of ends in Saviors. And it revolves around a ganjo, which is the city or the fortress, I guess, where Lord Konda lives. Yeah, and you'll remember Lord Konda from last episode, last time we talked about Kamigawa as well as the, the 2-2 Bushido 5 indestructible guy that we were kind of making fun of a bit. All right, he's a 3-3. Okay, he's a 3-3. <laughs> All right, my bad, my bad. <laughs> he is a 7-drop 3-3. Um, but... Basically, as every ruler of the land has, he has a bunch of these advisors. And now the smartest people on Kamigawa happen to be the moon folk. They're like these wizards and stuff. And uh, Soratami. Yes, the Soratami. And as your advisors do, they have other plans and they want to stab you in the back. It's yeah, basically, They're always scheming. It's like Game of Thrones, kind of. Um, yeah. A little bit here. The Witcher with like the sorceresses and the, you know, those people. Yeah. Always scheming. Um, always scheming. So the ones who are scheming the most are Maloku, who is like this big Soratami advisor, and uh, Mochi, who is like the, um, the Kami of the Crescent Moon. With like, if you've ever seen that card, he's the one that makes everyone draw more cards. Uh, but he has a right. very mischievous little grin. And I think he's like original, um, what's his face? Freaking uh, Oko. So he, he's, okay, he's yeah. like a, you know, a trickster. He's just going around trying to fuck things up. And basically they both hatch this plan that they're like, oh, let's convince Lord Konda that the only way that he can continue ruling and be awesome forever is if he's immortal. Because the Kami are immortal. They, they live forever. And um, anyway, so Maloku and uh, Mochi are like, okay, sweet. Let's convince Konda he needs to live forever. And uh, Mochi's a kami, so he teaches Konda how to get to the spirit realm. And Konda goes to Okagachi, who's like the mad king kami, I guess. Big the boss kami. Big yeah. boss kami. Yeah. A lot of snake heads. And essentially, Konda steals Okagachi's child, which is the thing yeah. that makes Okagachi indestructible. And Konda goes back to uh, the regular plane. And he hides it in um, Iganjo, and he's like, sick, now I have this sweet thing, and I'm going to live forever. And that's why he is indestructible. Right. And so Okagachi, by the way, is like a big-ass dragon with all these snake heads kind of coming out. He's pretty terrifying. Um, and he's growing, I guess, is it inside him? I'm not totally sure, but he's growing essentially his successor. Mm -hmm. So in a much more literal way than like humans do, where it's like the heir to the throne eventually takes over. He's like, well, once I'm done, this thing will be born and, and be the new Kami god. Yeah. And so he's kind of building this thing to take over after him. Yeah. And what happens actually is that when Konda goes and steals this thing, it's called um, It That Was Taken, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's like this big, it's like a... It's kind of in a stone disc uh, that he kind of keeps it trapped in, uh, in Aganjo. But when he comes back, the same day he stole this thing, he, his wife ends up bearing a child who is his heir to the throne, which is uh, Michiko. Right. That may be important later. The timing yeah. might be important. We'll have to yeah, find same out. Same day. Same day. Clink it in. We'll see. 
But yeah, because of this, obviously Okagachi's like, fuck all y'all. And then all the kami are in like this. He's displeased, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but be, because of, I don't know, some spirit or something, I don't actually know why, um, Okagachi can't get to the regular plane and take it back because of some spell or something in the ganjo that's like stopping him. I don't really know why that, that works, but, um, he seems to be the most powerful Kami. I don't know why he can't do that, but for whatever reason, he can't. And this war lasts like 20 years. Yeah, he basically tells all his kami, like, yo, fuck this, go mess up the mortals. And so they jump through to the other plane, and they just start just killing everybody, basically, because they're immortal, right? So they're, they're like, close to gods in this, mm-hmm. uh, in this culture. Like, there were a lot of them that were actually worshipped as gods and are now turning on uh, everyone basically all of the Gawa, the mortals. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> basically it's, it just, I get this impression of like Kanda up in his castle with his like disc, his precious, and all of his subjects are just getting massacred right outside his castle. Yeah. He just doesn't care. And the best thing <laughs> is that he pretends like he doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> right. He's like, why are they doing this? No. And everyone's like, oh my god, I gosh. have no ideas. He runs over with this <laughs> stupid that which was taken or whatever. You're like, isn't that like a Kami embryo thing? Like you, what yeah, is that? Yeah, it's pretty obvious what it is from the art of the card, man. Yeah. Like, uh, that's a thing. Um, but through this time, um, Michiko becomes of like age basically. So she's like 1920. And, um, this is where we are, kind of dropped into at Champions of Kamigawa. This is like these moments of Michigo is finally trying to help all the people in the land because she's like, we need to put an end to this mm-hmm. war. She doesn't like that her people are dying for some reason. Which, you know. It, it upsets her. You know, <laughs> why would you care about that? That's dumb. Yeah, who cares? Your dad's immortal. What does it matter? <laughs> Ugh, just terrible. Um but now it kind of, the story kind of brings us to a very well-known character, someone we had talked a little bit about before, um, which, Jeff, do you want to talk about this character? All right, so, of course, we're talking about Toshiro Umezawa. You may know him from his jite, very famous for wielding a jite. Uh, but he's basically uh, a mobster, essentially. Like, he's an assassin slash thief for hire in the criminal underworld. He's an outlaw, I guess, is the is the word for him. Yeah, I guess so. And so he's basically just getting into a whole bunch of different escapades, you know. Um, when you deal in danger, that's that's what happens. And he he's basically only ever cares about himself. That's his like most defining quality, is that even when he's making a deal with some other entity, whether for good or for bad. It, you know, seemingly, it's always just, can it help him in some way? We, I mean, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if, if you yeah. grew up in a, in a place where, um, you know, it, his surroundings kind of shaped him, not that he's like a good guy. He's not, he's not really a good guy. He's very much an anti-hero in our story. Um, but it, you know, it kind of, they kind of, kind of hint at the fact that, you know, maybe it wasn't completely his fault that he's this way. Yeah. But I mean, like sometimes the criminal underworld is is shown to have this kind of honor among thieves thing where you don't you don't uh, go against one of your own. He doesn't have any of that. 
He doesn't care about that. I don't think he has his own. He's just himself. He's by right. himself. So he's like, eh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> I'm number one and everybody else's can be cut. Right. He's a singleton. So, he, you know, he never goes against himself. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically through this, uh, to your point, so Jeff was talking about how uh, some of the kami are seen as gods and they're worshipped. Um, some of the kami are these uh, giant myojins. Is that how you say that word? Myojin? Myojin? I don't know. Um, I always said myogen, but it I could be was myogen. pretty young when I read that card. I, oh, there are a, a lot of cards I read when I was very young and thought that the name was something for a long time. Anyway, yeah. so the, we'll just say Myogen because that's easy. So I think that's what I used to say. So the Myogen are these giant creatures, one of every color, and they kind of, uh, they get worshipped by the people of their land, essentially. And Toshiro Umezawa is, um, basically worships the Myogen of Night's Reach, who seems to be the most important one in our story. Yeah, I think he like fights the red one at some point or something or escapes from the red one, but then none of the other ones actually appear. I think he like he like banishes the green one somehow. He like beats it. He like pushes it to like the anyway, we might get to that at some point, but um he does a lot of stuff, so you know, it's hard <laughs> to list all the the random side stuff that he does, but And most of it isn't extremely important, but Exactly, um, yeah. Uh, he, he accomplishes a lot of side quests. You know, you all know those types of guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I have five minutes to find the the princess and save her, but I, this guy lost his watch. Yeah, I'm gonna go look for that. I'm gonna find that, and then that brings you onto a bunch of other side quests. Um, yeah. uh, but luckily for Toshiro, all these side quests are easily accomplished because so the Miosian of Night's Reach wants the kami war to continue because it has some it's basically benefiting from all the kami going crazy and this war for 20 years this myojin was like oh my god i can i think planes walk basically like it just it learns how to to cross planes and it's like oh this is pretty fucking sick okay i'd like that i can do this i want to keep doing this and so tashiro's here and the Myojin was like, all right, well, I'm going to give you a, a cool power and some abilities and you keep the war going and I'm going to do my stuff, um, which Toshiro was like, sick. OK, I'll do that. And the power, Jeff, what's the power? What uh, the power that he gets the Myo- from the yeah. Myojin? It's so Toshiro can travel through places on Kamigawa. Through oh, through the shadows. Yeah, yeah. The shadows around. Which, mm-hmm. number one, really great if you're trying to complete your side quests. But number two, that's, oh, yeah. that's like the fucking coolest thing ever. Now, when <laughs> I was a kid, I bought the fat pack and I had the book with Toshiro on the front. And that's the only thing I really got out of the whole book was that he could travel through shadows. And I thought that was the fucking coolest thing. Um, so it's anyway, pretty badass. It's pretty badass. Really <laughs> helpful when you're an outlaw and you like stealing things because most of the the time but you steal stuff when there's shadows around (laughs) and then his card like recasts instance or something when (laughs) just like made no sense but yeah i think he he also yeah he can like cast spells by like i think he can draw characters like with his jite in the in like it he can like draw in the air and then like 
cast spells. I don't really know how that works with his card. It, it, it loosely... His card makes it sound like he... Because it's basically what his card does is when a creature that your opponent controls dies, you get to recast an instant. So it's, it sounds like he's using that creature's energy to cast his spells sometimes, but that's just not really what he does. He's a little bit of a weird card because um, he's a mono-black samurai with Bujito that's like mm-hmm. spells matters. And it's just, it's a little strange. I guess, like, if you just keep casting your removal spells, I don't know. So he can attack you for whatever, one or two. I guess that's the idea. You just chain removal spells. (laughs) So that you can hit in with the barely any damage. Doom Blade. Doom Blade. Mm -hmm. blade. I mean, he's really good with Umazawa's Jete, so. Yeah, but, you know, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot about that, that, like, the Myogen gave him his shadow power. I thought he was just, like, good at that. But no, you're right. He actually got that from the Myogen of Night's Reach. Yeah, which is like, okay. Why didn't any of the other Myogen give powers to other people? Um, they it, didn't have ulterior motives. Really seems like Night's Reach is the, the coolest one of all. Um, but anyway, so from there, uh, basically, I think Toshiro was, like, he had a bounty on um, uh, Hidetsugu. Is that how? I don't yeah. know. Um, I think Hidetsugu was like a, a... Basically, if you want to think about it in terms of like mafia, he was the the head of one of the families. Like he was mm-hmm. the leader of basically his own crime group. And so uh, Umazawa was hired by a rival gang to take him out, essentially. And instead of doing that, they just like make a new family. <laughs> They're like... Yeah, they just become bros. <laughs> they just, like, slit their hands and do, like, a blood pact, and they're like, sick. Now, we have a new family. The Hyozan Reckoners. Yeah. So, um, well, it's pretty sweet. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. it seems like it's them and some other people as well, uh, which we don't really know a lot of information about who the other members of this group are. Yeah, it wasn't totally clear. I assumed it was all of Hidetsugu's, you know, posse. Um, but I was a little curious what uh, Umazawa was bringing to the table, because as I understand, it was just him. So it's like, hey, do you want to merge my band with your band and make a super band? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, what's your band? Oh, it's just me. It's me, so, but I travel through shadows. So, you know, that's cool. Huh? You didn't see me, did you? I'm sure that he, like, lied about something and was talking talking up his, like, pull with the Myogen, because... Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering, if he you know, dropped the Myogen's name. It's got to be. It's like, oh, Kanye is going to be on the label too. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> like, we did something together once. Um, yeah. And Hidetsugu, he, like, worships um, this this Oni. It's like the all-consuming Oni of chaos is, like, his mm-hmm. uh, patron dude. Uh, so they're like, hey, this seems this seems like a good uh, a good deal. Not really, because almost immediately Toshiro's like, yeah, and he, like tricks his way out of the blood pact and like leaves. And so now all of them fucking yeah. hate him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously he was going to do that. But, yeah. You know, poor Hidetsugu, you know, he didn't know. Uh, yeah. But you know, Hidetsugu is heartless. So, you know, what are you going to do? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but some of the, the funny things for, uh, you know, I just had to read cause the thing they gave, they gave just a list of, side quests that Umazawa actually did complete. Mm-hmm. So I just had to uh, 
reads some of these. Um, he interrupted Moonfolk negotiations, which resulted in them trying to find and kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wonder, like, what exactly it was. I think this is what they're talking about with the Nazumi, uh, where there was, like, Moonfolk talking to a Nazumi that he uh, stumbled upon and was like, oh, that's weird. Um, right. But then he gets captured by the Orochi, the snake people, only to break free, attack them, and send their forest kami back to the spirit realm. So that's what you were talking about, the With green myogen. The myogen, yeah. Uh, and then he later gets captured by the Orochi again and just escapes again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, this might be an interesting... I, I don't want to jump to this part yet because through a lot of the stuff that's happening, um, one of the side quests that actually becomes the main quest is that um, Michiko like teams up with Toshiro somehow. I don't know. Yeah, if, if it wasn't totally clear on how that happened, and I didn't read all of Betrayers of Kamigawa. So. I think a lot of it was just that um, she's a princess, and he wants any sort of... He wants everybody on his side. He wants his, his fingers in all the different places so he can like, eh, maybe it'll be helpful to have a princess on my side at some point. Um, let's help yeah. her out. So his, his motivation makes some sense, right? It's hers that I was a little sketchy. Why she ended up turning to some street thug. Yeah. Maybe she heard good things about the, the Hyozan Reckoners, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the new <laughs> the new thing with uh, Hidetsugu. Um it kind of seems like he might have a name for himself uh, and maybe she just needs some help because she needs someone who can move quickly, quietly without her dad knowing, I also think. She's kind of doing this without him aware of the situation, right? I think so, yeah. Or I guess at this point, she doesn't know that he's horrible yet. Yeah. I mean, so the other thing to mention about her dad, Konda, is that um, all most of the humans or the, the Gawa thought of him as their only hope because he was indestructible because of the thing he stole. He was, he was like the only one that could fight the Kami one-on-one and, and live to tell the tale. And so he would, you know, whenever he would get into combat with them, he would win. And so the humans were like, he's our last chance. It's our Emperor Konda. Meanwhile, it's, it was him that's kind of fucking them the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's also not just playing the role of, I don't know what, why this is happening. He's also playing the role of the, the superhero <laughs> our last hope to save the the, the world kind of thing yeah to Oof. save the galaxy what a fucking so dick. she probably thinks her dad is that person right yeah either uh, that or she feels like there might be some funny business i'm not really sure it's important to know that tashiro and um michiko are working together uh-huh. and through some of this um and i think she must know about the soratami kind of influencing her father in a certain way because he came, he like Konda also becomes very um, paranoid of something happening to him or, or, or people finding out about it. So it's like, you know, like you were saying veils and veils of all these lies. He's telling everyone um, trying to hide what he had done. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause at some point uh, Toshiro takes his group of the reckoners and they go to uh, Minamo, which is the like school for all the moon folk at the Soratami. And basically mm-hmm. they attack it and destroy it and kill a lot of people. And that's when Hidetsugu like, uh, like basically brings forth his all-consuming, it's all-consuming 
Kami of Chaos, um, eats a bunch of stuff. That Kami ends up dying. And uh, Hidetsugu's like, oh my god, the, my god has, has died. And he eventually, on a side tangent, goes and worships the Myojin of Night's Reach and then eventually becomes the new Kami of Consuming Chaos, um, which we have seen in spoilers. Right, so he was an ogre and now he's one of the, the demons, the Oni or whatever. Yes, in, in present day. Okay. That's why he's still alive. Um, mm -hmm. That makes sense. Which, uh, it, if you haven't seen the card, uh, it's a, it was spoiled a while ago. Hidetsugu devouring chaos. Uh, he's this ogre demon now, which uh, happened in the last story. All right, but brand new Oni of chaos aside, I guess the stage is now set for the next chapter, which will include exactly how the partnership between Michiko, daughter of the betrayer of Kamigawa, and Umazawa, the random brigand? Uh, <laughs> how will they save the plane? But I think that means it's time for a beer break. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by listening. But if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon is the best way to do that. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we ramble on about non-magic things. Plus, you get to vote on which one of us you like more by buying me a beer. Or buying me a beer. So go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to vote on your favorite host right now. All right. So before we get back to the trials and tribulations of the Kamigawa realm, we got another beer up here. Yep. Um, so this is Grolsch Premium Pilsner. Uh, I'm sorry. I was trying to pop the, the bottle because... Uh, you know how they normally come in a bottle with a pop top? That's like art on the can. And so I thought it worked the same way, but no, it works like a regular can, actually. Yeah. I figured that out. Yeah. yeah, bummer. So when I first started brewing, I actually drank Grolsch exclusively to get the pop top bottles because I didn't have a, a bottle capper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just have all these pop top bottles lying around. Eventually, I invested in the like $15 for a bottle capper, but... Uh, I used to, I, I have some experience with Grolsch just from trying to collect their bottles. That's funny because I was literally thinking, man, I wish I had a bunch of those bottles because that'd be sweet. Because I'm like, right. uh, for syrups, for cocktails, I, I bought bottles that kind of do that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, give us the specs on Grolsch. What's going on with this beer? They make a really satisfying sound when you open them too. Uh, <laughs> so this is a Pilsner from the Netherlands. It's 5%, and it's a relatively recent beer. It's uh, from 1615. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially brand new by Stiegel's standards. Yeah, really brand new. That and Stella, which is our oldest beer. But Yeah, um, that was like the 1300s, I think. Yeah, 1336, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Grolsch. I can't help but notice that it's a Pilsner. Yes. I mean, I feel like it came before a certain beer that might claim to be the first Pilsner. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a little bit, which would be kind of <laughs> funny. Um, but yes, uh, I don't know if this beer was originally called a Pilsner um, mm -hmm. or not, and maybe they have just adopted that name, saying, "Oh, you know, it's just this is what it is. It's always been like that." But uh, in any case... It tastes like a Pilsner to me. It so. looks like a Pilsner. It tastes like a Pilsner. And it was founded in 1615. So so it's a duck. So it's a duck. <laughs> there you go. It's a Gawa. Um, yeah. Speaking of Gawa, 
Let's get back into In that smooth transition. The uh, the saviors of Kamigawa story is basically where we left off. So Toshiro and Michiko are working together, and she has at some point either she or someone told Toshiro, "Hey, all right, Konda has this thing. He's the reason why everything's going crazy. It's in." Our, our palace, you need to go steal it. Luckily, Toshiro is a master thief and can walk through shadows. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really easy. He just fucking went in a shadow, popped out in the throne room or whatever, <laughs> took the disc yeah, and left. She, she was definitely on to her father at this point because she was mm-hmm. like, here's the thing that is causing the problem. Here's where it is. I know that you're a master thief. Go get it. And he does. Um, yeah. Seemingly fairly simple. But around the time he takes it out of a ganjo, that's when Okagachi, the like king kami guy, um, can freaks out and breaks into the mortal realm to actually do his own bidding and go find it. Because that's really what he's been waiting for for 20 years to be like, where the fuck is this thing? I can't find it. I can't get to it. But now it's out of its hiding place. And I believe in the Jukai forest, which is where all the Orochi are which may be one of the times that he gets captured by the Orochi and then escapes because there's a fucking giant yeah. <laughs> dragon lizard thing in the sky. Yeah, eventually his kami just weren't getting the job done. He's like, fuck this, I'll do it myself. It's kind of like the classic video game story where the big bad guy could easily probably just do it, but decides to send wave after wave of ever-increasing enemies to level you up before <laughs> the final fight. Yeah, get you, um, get you primed and ready. Um, so that's what that was Okagachi's game plan here. Mm-hmm. You know, send send some some weaklings to try. They don't work, and then twenty years later, fuck <laughs> it, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> once know. once Konda's daughter is old enough to mm-hmm. really take uh, take care of things, yeah. <laughs> we'll go do that. Um, so now Toshiro has basically done what he's going to do for our story. He stole the piece yeah. that we needed him to steal. And um, Michiko is finally with, I believe she's also in the Jukai Forest with uh, Toshiro, and she gets to be with that which was taken. Now, there is a, a kind of important thing to do with Toshiro, because if you'll remember, um, the Myogen that gifted him this power asked him to keep the war going. And so what he's done here is use her powers that she gifted him to stop the war essentially to put the plan in motion to stop the war and uh she's pretty pissed about this <laughs> so the myogen of night's reach is not too pleased that they made a pact i'll give you powers if you keep the war going and he literally used the powers that was given to him to stop the war and so the myogen of night's reach banishes toshiro from the plane so i don't know if we know what happened to, to toshiro after that but he is not in kamigawa (laughs) yes uh so uh i think this happens possibly a little bit later but toshiro does get banished and specifically banished to dominaria where toshiro's ancestor uh is in early early magic cards so um it's actually funny now because we've seen as we were talking about satoru umezawa uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, this is an ancestor of Toshiro. However, Toshiro was pushed back into Dominaria, had some ancestors, and had this 
original. Do you mean descendants? That's what I meant to say. Yeah, descendants. Okay. He's the ancestor. I was like, wait a minute. He had he, an ancestor he in went, Dominaria? He now went forward in time, made ancestors yeah. back in time. No, sorry. Yeah, he had <laughs> some descendants. Uh, so he went to Dominaria, had some kids, I guess. And then there was this old card, um, which was Umizawa. I can't actually remember his first name. Um, but he was like a Grixis uh, samurai back in like Legends or something. And that's where the ah, seed okay. for Toshiro came from. It was like, oh, this is part of the family. And then if you remember when we were in Dominaria a few years ago, we had another Umizawa who was a rogue. Right. The made stuff unblockable if they had low t- low power. Which side. makes more sense with the shadow ability that you go into the shadows, mm-hmm. you can jump around. And now we have another Umezawa who deals with sneaky people. Um, so fun kind of list, long list of the Umezawas through, through the ages. But this is the second Umezawa. However, the first, like he's the grandfather of them all or whatever. Right. So in the story, we have Michiko is now with the Stone Sphere, which is the baby Kami, which is actually a 20-year-old Kami stuck in this thing. And um, right. it is the it that it that which was taken. What is it? It that was taken. That which was that taken. which was taken. There we go. Um, mm-hmm. And when it's united with Michiko, because they were both born on the same day, they uh, she breaks free of the kami, breaks free of her mold, and she reveals herself to be Kaiodai, who is this kami. Um, basically has like a human form ish uh, kind of i guess they she breaks free sorry so let me start over so she breaks free <laughs> and then <laughs> and then michiko and kaiodai kind of form into one being and that being's right. name is basically the sisters of flesh and spirit uh, which is both halves of this one whole being so they're kind of because of the story and how they were how everything was happened and you know michiko was born on the day that uh, it that was taken was uh, brought over to the the, the uh, human mortal realm. They were tied forever, and they're sisters, and they become like this basically super being that fucking well exacts revenge on everyone that sucked. Everyone, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it starts by annihilating dragon snake kami mm-hmm. lord. You know the the immediate threat that's kind of rampaging through the world right now. So they take that down, but then they also then turn their attention to Emperor Kanda himself. So it's kind of like it they kill both of their parents. Yeah. I guess. The sisters kill both of their parents. Yeah. Which they believe it's kind of like when they meld together, um, the Kami that was stuck in the stone has all these memories of living and you know, all this stuff. And it melds right into Michiko, and now she has all the memories of the Kami, and the Kami has all the memories of Michiko. And they're like, hey, dads suck, don't they? Yeah. And so they like fly into the sky and cut off all the snake heads of um, um, Okagachi, who eventually turns into like a little garden snake, who's just like this little tiny thing. And it has two heads and they pick it up and they both bite off the head simultaneously and eat him. So it's not like blazes of, it's really brutal. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. And then they go to Lord Konda and they turn him to stone and then push him over. So they kill his flesh 
and then push him over and he breaks and it destroys his spirit is kind of the idea. Um, which is, should be like the torment of, of dying twice, kind of. But yeah, anyway, sisters fuck up shit and like save the world. And now the kami are like, yay, everything's okay now. Yeah. <laughs> we're not pissed anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were basically like, hey, we didn't even really necessarily know what was going on. We just had our head honcho telling us to, to attack and driving us crazy. Yeah. But through this, we have a lot of uh, peace throughout Kamigawa. Um, the Soratami, all the bad ones got killed basically through that whole raid with, uh, Hidetsugu. Oh no, Moloku died? Yeah, Moloku died. <laughs> um, oh, that's a yeah. <laughs> I liked that card as a character. I always played oh, really? card. Oh, really? So it's like, ooh, return an island to my hand and make a one-one. Yeah. What's up? Um, so Moloku <laughs> died, um, Mochi died. Uh, through that there's a couple other cool wizard dudes that died in, in that whole case. i thought mochi was immortal though somehow maybe not through uh did he get frozen and, and turned into ice cream is that maybe is that what maybe happened? that or um or it's i don't know the sisters of flesh and spirit fucking kill things that can't be killed they can do whatever right? they want i don't know they kill immortal people all yeah. the time You're or right. i guess you catch the lord sure lord. maybe maybe he was banished to like the spirit realm and could never come back or you know, the essential he's gone from kamigawa kind of although maybe not so much we'll yeah. see um but that kind of ends our they they would be the saviors of kamigawa toshiro who we thought was a betrayer became a savior uh michiko and kaiodai are also the saviors while konda was a betrayer and okagachi also betrayers right I guess. Who is the champions? Everybody? Why Everybody else? All the Gawa? <laughs> <laughs> All the Gawa and the king. And the, the yeah. everyone. So yeah, there you go. That's the drunken Vorthos. That's that's everything that happened. That is Kamigawa block. Yeah. Just kidding. We have a lot more things to talk about. <laughs> All right. So that is what happened, whatever, how many years ago was it? 2004. When, or 2005, when every, oh, all this man. stuff happened. Fuck. Man, I feel so old. Um... <laughs> And now we have some snippets about what has happened between those periods of time and the, the 1,200 years where we're going we're gonna to end up in Neon Dynasty. So I guess we lead off with basically Michiko's reign. After defeating her father, she kind of, she didn't want to call herself emperor, but she took over that role mm-hmm. essentially by, you know, by blood. And so she was essentially tasked with or tasked herself with undoing all of the terrible shit her father did was kind of her life's goal and so what she faced though was kind of skepticism like people were kind of afraid of her um, and very suspicious of her because you got to remember they were at war for 20 years with the kami and their savior was her dad and then she partnered with Akami to destroy her dad. So they were like, yo, what the fuck's going on? You partnered with our enemy and destroyed like our savior in their eyes. It was a little rough, but like uh, kind of through her life, uh, like Kaiodai is still around. Yeah, I, I think they kind of unfused, right? They did the reverse of the Dragon Ball. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they went back to their other forms. Um, I guess in my mind, I keep thinking Kaiodai is like a, a human lady form, Kami. But 
probably not from what they look like in the the picture of it. That See, was I assumed taken. he was a big serpent with a bunch of little dragon heads. <laughs> probably. Uh, in all honesty, that makes a lot more sense. But maybe they're just like Michiko heads and they're not serpent heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> like a really weird, like a mask that looks like Michiko. Anyway. Um, yeah. So uh, through that, I mean... It was a lot of like troubling times, but she did prove herself to be like a good ruler. And in her death, uh, her her constituents and, and the people around did eventually give her the the honor of being an emperor, even though she herself did not want to be called that because of what her father had become. And um, right. and basically, in Kaiodai, kind of just like rules people for a really long time. She just like deals with the kami stuff. And then through Michiko's heirs and everything, they just continue the Konda line of, of having... Um, and I think kind of the important thing Michiko did was basically reveal the truth mm-hmm. about what her father did. So almost bring shame, quote-unquote, to her own family line. But that's how she got over this whole ordeal of people being suspicious that she partnered with the kami to destroy conda she was like hey listen that's the reason the war happened was him Mm -hmm. and so i had to do that um and so obviously at first people were a bit you know skeptical not receptive to that Mm -hmm. uh either they didn't believe her or they were like well if your family line did this why are we letting you rule still so there were you know everyone and everything in between but eventually did like you said proved to be a great ruler and kind of was able to heal some of the damage that was done. And then we'll get a little bit more into all the kind of lineage stuff that goes on with that in another section of this podcast here. Um, but we have some side quests. Yeah. I like I like side quests. That's a, that's a really nice uh, the name for these yeah, things. Now, now we can take a break from all the realms going to be, you know, <laughs> massacred stuff and uh, all the legends and fate of the two people being born at the same time and just get into like what were other people doing at this time yeah (laughs) um so we do have a uh, planeswalker we have a legendary creature that uh, we know quite a bit about who's on arena um but originated i don't know if you know from this set who is azusa who is lost (laughs) butt seeking which i thought was hilarious as a kid yeah i don't know if i've ever actually seen this card in arena Oh. I agree, though. I loved that that name as a kid too. Like lost, uh, but she's butt seeking, <laughs> like a butt seeking missile or something. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, that kind of is what her story is. She is a monk who travels uh, like throughout the plain, and she's part of the sacred order of the Jukai Forest, and so she like. Through the, the Kami War and after that, she just like literally going around writing in her diary about what's going on or what she sees. And eventually she just gets lost in like um, the, the, the Tendo Peaks and she's just kind of gone. We don't really know what happens to her exactly, but, uh, but her diary entries are, are basically sacred manuscripts that uh, that people hold on to yeah so she was just like during the war and after just kind of walking around being doing like, her own shit i just imagine her standing on like an open plains as all these farmers are getting massacred by all these ghosts <laughs> being like farmers get killed, killed by, by ghosts, ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> anyways 
Um, I kind of imagine it like... I'm going to play two additional lands this turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because like her diary entries are so important to these people after she's been gone. And it's basically like her last diary, I think, lives in this tree that's like, you know, guarded by... It's it's a tree. I don't know. It's a, it's in the spiritual forest. It, it helps people. I don't know what it is, but... Right. So she, you said she was a monk of the Jukai forest. Mm-hmm. Later we'll learn that... Um, the Gawa get banished from entering the Jukai <laughs> yeah. forest. So she like left a secret diary in this forest that later there nobody's actually allowed to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets found much, much later than the rest of them. Um, which kind of makes it feel like, um, not really, but like I was thinking like, oh, what a weird thing. Like why would you just like read someone's diary and it be like an important text? And then I was like, oh wait, but we have the diary of Anne Frank. Like, that's an important text in our society. Um, oh, yeah. No, right. diaries are kind of important about telling you the story about what it was and, like. And in many ways, she was the first historian mm-hmm. of Kamigawa. Like, nobody else recorded stuff. She was the one walking around recording everything. Um, and even started, like, a society of historians, essentially. Yeah. So, <laughs> which, uh, which is kind of crazy to be like, hey, by the way, we should write things down. Because also, you know, yeah. once again, it's like important. It might be important to remember. You need people to remember things that happened, specifically that Konda, Lord Konda was a fucking dickhead, and that, uh, you know, <laughs> avoid this in the future. Um, Diary 6, Lord Konda is, is a dickhead. A dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just imagining if Lord Konda was like a kami, and he was an actual dickhead flying around, like... <laughs> Please ignore Diary 3, Lord Kanda, our savior. Yeah. <laughs> our only hope. Oh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in, in um, kind of... She, so she spawned all these historians. And in this whole, uh, whole thing, they eventually, for this museum... Basically, a lot of the stuff in these stories that we're learning uh, have these artifacts that are kept in the new Kamigawa, which is the Neon Dynasty. Yeah. And uh, one of the pieces that she uh, has contributed, she didn't contribute it herself, but her legacy uh, is why this was created. And it's a kimono that mm-hmm. um, has kind of uh, pictures and stories of things that she had told uh, that, that, that hangs in the, the museum, which is the historians that she kind of birthed uh, into the plane. And one thing I noticed, um, so from uh, the world building video on YouTube, uh, they were talking about getting some of these things right in Japanese culture and so on and so forth. They mentioned that they had to kind of redo a lot of the art that involved kimonos because apparently if you wear uh, the left of your kimono over the top, that is represents uh, someone who's not living. And people who are living put the right over the top. So I noticed that in this art, the left side of the kimono is actually mm. over the top because it's commemorating Azusa. Someone who's passed. That's really, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen the world building video, I might link it below. It's like 30 minutes, but it's it's really fun to see. It's basically a round table of the, the people that made the set talking about uh, how they got to the places they wanted to get to and um, what kind of cultural influences they took and uh, how that changed uh, their world building compared to the first time that they were here. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, so uh, go check that out. But you're right. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool, 
it's a cool piece. Um, another thing that we didn't mention is that we are breaking down these 10 articles to you. And um, each article has a different kind of long piece of artwork. Um, right. Longer yeah. than a normal <laughs> magic card would have. Um, however, it's reminiscent of a certain card type. Jeff, I just, it's on the tip of my tongue. I don't know what it is. What is something? Uh, it's, it's, it's like a story or, or uh, epic. Yeah, something so, like that. It's like... Um, they, they tell certain certain epic tales. What, what's the word for that? It's like the... Um, mm, I don't... Uh, some, maybe, maybe a saga? Oh, oh yeah. It's a saga. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. it does look so. like they are giving us... 10 sagas in uh, Neon Dynasty. We are seeing the art in these articles. Um, beautiful, by the way. A lot of really cool ones. Some of them, um, as they did in Kaldheim uh, last year, I don't want to talk too much about that, but uh, some pieces weren't painted. They were actually made in like wood blocking and stuff or um, carved. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's really cool. So same with this. We have some mixed uh, media pieces that will be on cards that look like they're painted, but they're actually physical things um, like embroidery and, and those kinds of things. This piece is is a painted kimono. Yeah. This isn't a real kimono, but uh, they yeah, some. This uh, one is clear. Yeah, that it, it's painted. There, there's or digital art of some. Yeah, kind. that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, of, of some kind. But um, anyway, uh, not to get too deep into non-story quote unquote things, but just cool stuff. Um, it's always fun to see how. They make this game because, you know, there's a lot of fucking work that goes into it that you don't know about. But uh, now when you see the uh, the saga Azusa's Many Journeys that we're expecting to be in the in the set, mm-hmm. you'll know the story. Yeah. She had many journeys and diaries as well. One thing I loved about original Kamigawa was that they had these mm-hmm. fucking sick dragons that didn't look like yeah. regular dragons we see in Magic. These were like serpentine ones that were like floating and flying. Right, like very Eastern exactly mythology cult, like dragon. Yeah, it literally looks like the more European ones that uh, that we usually see in Magic. Yeah, that, that seem more greedy. These ones seem more um, mm-hmm. like they can. They're they're friendly. Like they give you stuff. Yeah, uh, they're more like that, yeah. something you would wish on, as opposed to something that's going to terrorize you and. And like they don't necessarily have wings, really. They're just they fly, but they they don't have like the big wing and the big body. There, like you said, they're kind of serpent. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember loving them a lot when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. um, Kakusho is the black one. It's still like one of my favorite magic cards, um, and I literally play it in a commander deck just because. I mean, it's a really good card in commander, but it's also like. Yeah. <laughs> I specifically get the art from Kamigawa being like, I want it to be this one because this is the one I like. It reminds me of all those kinds of feelings and stuff. So Yeah, these, these were absolutely iconic of, of Kamigawa. Yeah, so iconic that w- they were in Iconic Masters. <laughs> I like a... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I could have I designed that set. Hey, or... look at that. Um, but there's some really interesting stuff that happened between the like Kami war and where we're going to be. Um, Cause we did spoiler alert. We did get a, a preview of one of these dragons uh, a, a few, a uh, few weeks back. Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things to me, like that I didn't necessarily realize right away with Kamigawa is that these dragons are Kami actually. 
they are kind of these spirits, but they were, they're different in the sense that they're protectors of their given realm, rather than being gods that these, uh, these realms look up to, they're more protectors of that mm-hmm. realm. And so in the Kami war, they actually decided to do their duty and protect the, the Gawa in the realms that they were from their brethren, the Kami. Mm-hmm. That kind of means that, you know, some of them died and they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we <laughs> lost uh, Yose, who's the white one, who was guarding the city of Aganjo, which is, of course... Kanda didn't come help him. He just let him well, die. Kanda didn't fucking right help anybody. Yeah, fuck that guy. That guy sucks. He's yeah. a dickhead. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. Kanda is a dickhead. Yeah, Kanda's a dickhead. <laughs> um, <laughs> Drunken Vorthos, Kanda's a dickhead. Um, and yeah. then uh, the green one, Jugen fell when he was aiding the monks in Jukai, uh, which is that forest we were talking about. And then uh, Kaiga, was the blue one, died fighting to save Minimo, which is the uh, wizard academy, uh, which actually, I'm pretty sure, died from the fucking uh, Hidetsugu onslaught with all the demons and stuff, which was uh, yeah. kind of friendly fire, seemingly. But um, hey, when those things happened, you know, we, we do know that uh, these dragons, when they die, they trigger. So... I was going to say, man, you know, if, it's lucky Okagachi wasn't there when Kaiga died or, or the Gawa would have gained control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically we're left with uh, Kakusho, who's the black one, is still alive, and Ryusei, which is the red one. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, sorry, Kakusho eventually died um, from, uh, from trying to save the swamp, but... Uh, Ryusei. Yeah, he was like the lone survivor, mm-hmm. essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, some Oni like attacked the swamps, and, and that killed... Uh, Kakusho. And then uh, everybody lost five Kakusho, lives. Which I, I thought was like a little like, oh, that's a bummer. You know, all the other ones died defending their territory against the invincible Kami, and then he just gets a random different death yeah. <laughs> against a weaker, ostensibly weaker opponent, and then the red one just lives. Um, but... <laughs> Basically, what happens is the Orochi, the snake people, they bring back Jugan. They, they figure out some ritual in order to reanimate him, resurrect him, bring him back to life. And, and that's a good idea. Jugan's not a bad reanimator target, you know, if you can get him <laughs> into your graveyard quickly and, and get a reanimation spell going. Um, and so this wave of Oni that killed Kakusho... Jugen and Ryusei actually fought them off uh, once Jugen had been resurrected. Uh, and obviously, Ryusei is pretty much just unbeatable, as I, you know, I'm learning here. Uh, <laughs> he can just survive any amount of wars and just be fine. I guess so. Uh, but they fought off the Oni. They should have made his card a lot more powerful, that's all I'm saying. It must be that Ryusei doesn't give a shit about the Aki, and is like, eh, I don't really care about saving these stupid goblins, so I won't... Yeah, yeah, he was like, oh shit, man, I was totally busy, super, super swamped. Yeah, <laughs> super swamped? No, that's Kakusho. Hanging out with Kakusho. <laughs> Kakusho got super yeah. swamped. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, magic jokes, man. <laughs> it's like magic dad yeah. jokes, essentially, is what that is. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Oh, there's a new podcast. <laughs> Magic Dads. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But because of this, Ryuse uh, hatches a plan. <laughs> hatches. Oh. And basically, yeah. Foreshadowing. Realizes that, um, you know, hey, maybe we need to, like, gather the remains of everyone, all the, the dragons that had died, and let's, like, start anew. Let's start over. And they, they basically mm-hmm. just, like, put themselves in an egg. Um, and they seal it in the heart of Boseju, which is like this tree in the Jugen Forest, who is like the best, biggest, best tree uh, ever. It's the coolest tree. Uh, yeah. You got to check it out. It, it shelters all. Yes, it does. Boseju, who shelters all. You're right. Um, and um, so basically, uh, the new resurrected Jugen and Ryuse decide to give themselves up and basically uh, kind of die into this egg or sleep forever. Um, and that egg is nurtured for about 50 years. And then there's five more dragons came out. Brand new ones um, that we get to see. We actually have um, Atsushi, the blazing sky, is the one that we have seen so far, which is the red one. Right. Um, and they seem, uh, a, you know, you got a little bit more choices with these ones. So it's quite exciting to see them come back. Just uh, so always makes me think it's like, <laughs> hey, you want to hang out? No, I'm busy. Oh, where are you? Oh, I'm at sushi. <laughs> it's just such a weird name like at sushi at sushi yeah i mean i didn't think about that until you literally just said it so um it didn't seem it looked like a word that i was like okay it's one of the words that i will have to figure out how to pronounce um it just it gives red dragon roll a new meaning that's all I'm saying. it's true hey we are talking about <laughs> red dragons being a thing four mana four four flying red dragons in every set and this yeah. is one of them. Hey, another <laughs> fucking red dragon. Uh, but I guess it makes more sense in this set than other ones. Where you're like, hey, do you, here, here's another dragon. Fuck, okay. In a strad, here's a dragon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so we're, we're looking forward to some more of these, um, these sweet spirit dragons. Um, I'm really happy that they were born anew. Uh, and then maybe we'll get some more later on. Just give me more, more, more of these. Um, maybe not specifically or awesome dragons. maybe not specifically the red ones but the other ones i love the other ones it's always nice to have like a you know white dragon or yeah whatever exactly um, black dragons are always cool um so yeah if you see a if you end up seeing a saga that's called the dragon kami reborn now you know what that's about yeah it's also beautiful Ugh, it's probably one of my favorites yeah it's a really really nice piece uh, so that leads us right into some of the different eras. So um, that's kind of stuff that happened right around the time of the Kami War, immediately after. Uh, and now we're getting into different eras that occurred between the Kami War, or last time we were at Kamigawa, and now. And obviously, you know, it's a lo- it's been a long time. Uh, I think you said 1,200 years, right? Yeah, and 1,200 so, and so we, uh, you know, as we do when we're looking back on time periods, we group them into pretty large but distinct eras. And so uh, the first one of those is called the Shattered States era. Mm, doesn't sound good, Jeff. Doesn't sound good. No, it, it doesn't sound great. No. You know, I've already, <laughs> if you see that chapter in your history book, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Ooh, I don't like this one. Yeah. Um, so basically, this is uh, after uh, Michiko Konda has died. Um, now we're kind of continuing the line of like, oh, who's the next Konda? Who's the next Konda? You're the one who's leading us, and that's great. 
for many generations, but there's a lot of like over time, all these different people don't have the same, um, I don't know, characteristics that Michiko had. You know, she she had to right. go through a lot of trials to understand why she wanted to rule a certain way. Obviously, people that you raise after that mm-hmm. take some things for granted and maybe don't um, rule the same way. So slowly, right. there's infighting in this dynasty. Right. It tends to become more about, you know, holding power, you know, more political than actually about ruling your people in the right way. You know, which we can almost imagine is what happened beforehand to Michiko's father, and then she kind of reset the balance, and then took us a while to get back there. But eventually, essentially, uh, the Konda clan is maybe no longer fit to rule in a lot of people's eyes. And even worse, one emperor, she didn't have any offspring. And so it wasn't clear who should be her successor. Yeah, because it's hard. It's like, all right, so... She died because somebody fucking killed her. But like, all right. So should her brother be the one that takes over rule? Should it be her husband? Someone who is still of the Kanda line? Or should it be her husband who... Was picked, uh, you know? Who had a bigger part in running the show so far anyways, maybe is better equipped to do it. Like, what's more important, the blood or the, the fact that he's you know, been part of some of these decisions already. Exactly. But also, like, you would think that the husband might be closer as far as ideals go with the person that picked them to be. Right, yeah. Of course, you know, maybe they had arranged things. I don't really know what their their customs yeah, I, are. I don't things. know much about the, <laughs> the know, Aganjo. Worked in, in <laughs> yeah, the uh, Aganjo customs in, in that time. Uh, <laughs> for a mythical If it's place. historically accurate uh, at all, it's probably like her cousin or something. Yeah, Ugh. Um, which makes sense why there's a bunch of fighting and uh, people, uh, you know, inbreeding or whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> so uh, no one can really figure this out. And a lot of people died um, just because of this this fight over this power that they were trying to obtain. Because right. once you, you don't have a clear successor, everything just fucking goes haywire. They're basically two political parties, you know, the yeah. brother or the husband. Exactly. They were at odds with each other. Um, and then at one point, the Yamazaki clan, which are the brothers who originally were like the secret service for Lord, Lord Konda, they, their entire lineage has continued for decades to be the secret service people for the Konda. Right. Um, and so they get in kind of this, this squabble with a lot of the Kamigawan people, as well as the, uh, these successors that we're, we're seeing who's, you know, who's going to be the, the next person. And there is a standoff in the throne room. Exactly, yeah. So I do feel for the Yamazaki a little bit. You have to imagine that you know their loyalty is pretty much only to the Konda family. And now they have this decision to make of who they're loyal to. Is it the brother who is a Konda by blood? Or, you know, this this husband who is uh who was your previous rulers, as you said, her sort of choice. It mm-hmm. was her she had she owed her loyalty to him in some small degree, so you have to trust. Do you trust your loyalty to your previous emperor, or to your sort of family loyalty that you've held for generations? Yeah. Um, and so through all of this, um, just remember that Kaiodai, the kami, um, still around, doesn't die. 
Um, so yeah. she kind of interferes in this like final decision. And she's like, you know what? Fuck the Konda. I'm going to strip you of all your, um, your, uh, your kind of uh, status. Uh, you are now regular, right. ordinary citizens. Fuck you. you. You can no longer. It was no longer a royal bloodline. Yeah. She's like, you, you ruined it. You, you ruined it. It's basically like when you're, uh, you and your sibling get in trouble by your parents. You're like, you know what? You, you're both grounded. And I don't care who did it, what was wrong. It doesn't, I don't fucking care. You both get punished for yeah. whatever happened. I don't care who started it. Yeah. I'm finishing it. I'm finishing it. it. You're done. The classic line. And uh, Kaio dies like, you know what? I'm going to pick who the emperor is from now on based on their character and their merit. And that's what she does. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you, you kind of threw to me with the standoff line. I didn't fully explain it. Mm. Uh, the standoff was basically there's a Yam, one of the Yamazaki, uh, I guess earlier in his heritage, one of his ancestors had challenged Imperial Decree. And that's kind of how their family got into this realm in the first place. So he inspired by that. He actually assassinated the husband. And then was going to kill the brother, but the brother was ready for him. And so that's the kind of standoff that happened is uh, the brother versus the, his, I don't know, whatever his uh, in, head intelligence officer yeah. or something. It's like a secret service <laughs> agent. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know who tipped him off if he's the intelligence officer for the, for the brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, if it was his personal guard or not. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's when Coyote was like, yo, fuck this. Are you seriously, like, <laughs> is this seriously what's happening? None of you rule. So, um, but with that, uh, I think we're coming into a beer break. So, you know. Sounds like as good a time as any. The era yeah. <laughs> has been shattered. Yeah. Um, but my yeah. thirst must be quenched. <laughs> Will Kamigawa recover? just i'm worried man i don't know uh probably because we have a new set coming so i'm assuming that it's still around (laughs) zach come on oh sorry build these suspense okay i don't know let's find out (laughs) here we go third beer of the night we have the original pilsner this is uh yeah yeah pretty it's crazy because we just drank a pilsner from 1615 or something and this is the first Pilsner that was made in 1842. It's just, that's nuts. <laughs> there you go. Um, so this yeah. is Pilsner Urquell. Um, mm-hmm. It uh, was made in the Czech Republic, and it is 4.4%, um, which actually, you know, through the Silver Series, I think the lower percentage, actually, you get some thumbs up because, uh, yeah. you know, I, I want this beer to be one that I can just chug right or chug but i also i just want to drink it all day that's usually right. what my uh what i want to do with it um through this i thought uh i saw some stuff on the website obviously about um the best beer or the, the first pilsner or it's really great or whatever but there's there's one picture that i thought was exceptionally uh, hilarious to me um which i just sent you <laughs> Which is specifically talking about their tapsters or the people that pour their beer and how amazing they are. Those are the worst pours I've ever seen. So I just sent Jeff the picture of what the pours look like and they're trash. They're like worse than Cheers pours. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're really bad. 
She's literally holding one up that maybe, maybe 10% of the glass is beer. Then like 40% is foam and then empty. To the like top. I just, I just don't understand why you would tout that you're the best. And, and like on the website, all they talk Trust about. your tapster. And all they talk about is how important it is that your foam is so big to keep in the freshness and not have the alcohol destroy the beer. But I'm like. These are horrible pours. I would be fucking pissed. Like so, throughout the entire there website, there are seven beers in this shot. Yeah, and not one of them is over halfway full of actual beer. It's it's insane. I'm I'm like it yeah. it infuriates me because they <laughs> this lady got to half on one of her pours. It looks like, but I have a feeling that one settled for a bit, so the foam has turned into it's into beer. Here. It's ridiculous. Um. And they just can't believe that they chose this for their website specifically to say, look how great <laughs> we pour beers. They took beers. like 10 photos. This was the best <laughs> Yeah. One. Like, no way. <laughs> no way. Every other beer on the, the thing is at least three to four fingers of foam. It's insane. Yeah, at least. It's crazy. So and she's holding up the worst one. That's yeah. That's the funny part. Too. <laughs> it's like, it's, it is... It's just horrible. Uh, I've never seen something like this. Um, Now it makes me laugh because they are claiming to be the original Pilsner. Um, Right. And, you know, I don't really care where exactly it came from, who was the first person. There's a lot of people that claim that they're the first person who invented this thing or this style of beer, the the very skunky taste, whatever, all those things. Um, To me, it, it still feels like the... We have New York's first pizza, whatever. Like, we have right. the bagels, the first bagels ever made in New York. I'm like, okay, I don't know. It, are they good? Like, it doesn't matter if you're the... Yeah. <laughs> or has bagel technology come a long way and you guys are just old school? Yeah. Or maybe like, hey, you had a cool idea, but somebody did it way better than you. Sorry. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that happens all the time. I so, will say that the fact that this is brewed in Pilsen czech republic does lend credence to their claim a little bit for me yes so that's why i did think that grolsch was like all right we are a pilsner so we'll we'll join it's easier to explain that to people um right but because now that that term has caught on yeah but because this pilsner is made in pilsen the Czech Republic and uses Pilsen water, which is a, one of the ingredients that they say is really important for a Pilsner. Um, I would say, okay, I get it. But anyway, uh, I just, uh, I could not help, but, uh, just send you that picture. Of that <laughs> those are, those um, anyway, actually, you know what? I'm going to put that on Instagram, go to our Instagram. It's arena regulars and find us to see the picture we're talking about because it, it matters, man. Like, this, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> you should know. If you get served something like this, send it back. Send it ask, back. Ask for a refund. Yeah, jeez. All right. Anyway, that's my little spiel about uh, Pilsner Urquell. <laughs> but, uh, um, all right, Jeff, where were we? You we were, know, we were, sorry, after, did you have something to say about Pilsner? the era of uh, shattered states and mm. uh, the atrocious beer pouring of the tapsters, I need something to really, you know, pump me up here. I need something happy to talk about. So why don't we move on to the era of enlightenment? Mm, that sounds pretty nice. Um, and with the era of enlightenment, um, we do see that there is a traditional tapestry that was made uh, for the saga. I actually can't tell if it's a real tapestry or not. 
Maybe not. It looks like it could be, right? Yeah, but then like the wood at the top. Anyway, let's stop talking oh, about yeah, pictures. The wood at the top's not real. That uh, people can't <laughs> see. Uh, <laughs> let's have the radio show where we uh, talk about pictures. <laughs> pictures the whole time. Um, thank you for staying with us if you're still here. Uh, we might have lost all of you in our Pilsner talk. <laughs> Oh, uh, but uh, Jeff, what was the era of enlightenment? Not like our nor well, not, it's not like ours, but like the one that for Kamigawa. Oh, okay, yeah. So basically, after uh, Kaodai banished the, you know, got rid of the previous framework of the the royal bloodline, uh, it seems like, and went to this democratic process that we described right before the break. It seems like they ushered in an era of enlightenment, of, of peace and of prosperity. So, you know, the arts really, pe- people were felt safe enough that, you know, they could study art. Um, they could be street performers. They could use magic, you know, for entertainment rather than always for war. And so during this time, basically, this was the, the main time when it feels like the um, quality of life really went up in, in Kamigawa. Yeah. And interesting with that, with, you know, having a lot of the arts in, um, in the world, it also brought a bit more of like, not only is this a good time of peace, but also like, um, spirits came into the inhabitants, not just in, the people that were living there, but also actual spirits like the Kami started becoming very friendly and started coming and living in the realm with the rest of the people. This is beginning this merge where we, the gates of the spirit realm and the mortal realm tends to blur a bit and we're getting more like humans, but also whoever else inhabit Kamigawa are starting to live like in harmony with the kami. Yeah, totally. Like they basically had these portals that just started opening up, whether that was because, you know, the kami were opening them manifestly or just it was happening. Uh, maybe it had something to do with Kaiodai's presence in the, in the mortal realm, like active, uh, you know, ruling of the sure. mortal realm. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? But uh, basically these portals started opening up. And like you're saying, like the kami would just basically be chilling with, the uh the gawa with but the gawa. not in the bad way that we heard about earlier you know the last time the kami had to come to the mortal realm it was to try to retrieve something and to wage war and now they're coming as essentially as friends it does sound like a few of them were a bit confused and you know maybe they didn't open the portal and happened to go through it and then they're like where am i Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they might have been, you know, regarded as slightly hostile just because they don't know what's going on. And so eventually what happened was um, the Jukai, who are the, essentially they were the monks of the forest, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And they decided to kind of, that the best plan would be to build these gates around the portals that had opened up to signify to the kami, hey, you're welcome here. Like, you know, we understand that you, you whether you've opened these portals or they opened up f- for reasons beyond yeah. your, yeah. Um, we want you to know that we welcome you into our realm. And so they teamed up with scholars from uh, Minamo, Minamo, Minamo. I've been saying uh, Minamo, yeah. 
as well as like just some muscle from the imperial infantry to actually build them and so they had this kind of alliance of the monks and the scholars and the the infantry to basically build these gates that were saying hey kami you're you're welcome here and this is a big uh this is a big turning point in kamigawa's kind of history because um earlier when we were talking about like the soratami and all these people ultimately the soratami were hoping that the land dwellers because the moon folk can kind of fly uh the land dwellers mm-hmm. would um die off and the soratami would rule all and so they w- right it was a world domination kind of yeah plot but also in a sense it is a big genocide plot they're hoping to kill every other race and be the only race alive and now right. we are coming into an age where all these different races are working together to bring this otherworldly race into their world and say hey you're welcome come live with us we we want you here and we can work together and this is really important as the difference the huge difference between what neon dynasty is going to be and what the kamigawa we knew was yes right so in neon dynasty we would instead of having the the separate factions all living in their respective areas like the aki lived in the mountains for example Mm -hmm. in previous kamigawa now we just have them all kind of living harmoniously together yeah which we're also going you know as we're moving into the city realm with skyscrapers and things like that it also mirrors the world that we live in now where cities tend to be the most uh, populated with different people from other all over the world. Um, very right. similar experience we're going to have in Kamigawa. Uh, but this is the beginning of that. Uh, with the Kami coming in being the biggest difference. is like, hey, we had this wall. Now it's kind of breaking down. And we're going to blend together. Which I like. And I like to pretend that the musicians and the artists were the ones that helped that a a little bit. But uh, of course, yeah, yeah. always the artists moving. It's always, yeah, it's always the artists moving. Except the performance arts. No, that was useless. But (laughs) musicians and artists, yeah. Um, All right. So now we come to a very important tale. Um, That uh, tale is that right? Maybe. uh <laughs> anyway it's almost like a a myth or or legend or yeah something like that yeah. i just thought tale was a little too cheeky um but anyway so this yeah. is the uh the teachings <laughs> of the corinne which is essentially uh basically the story of why the orachi no longer have legs yeah, so I alluded to this earlier that the Arachi had legs in Kamigawa. They do not have legs in Neon Dynasty. Let's find out why. They don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem really that important. <laughs> like, <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is a little, this is another side quest here we have. Um, but basically, as I understand it, the Orochi lived in the Jukai forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of even before Gawa and Kami existed in harmony, they lived in harmony with the Kami of the forest. So I'm imagining that this forest is somehow an overlap between the mortal realm and the spirit realm. Which would make sense because the Jukai monks are the ones that help bring them over. So sure. Right. So they, they, that's why that was where their expertise came from. But eventually the, the Orochi, the snake people, they did the the human thing where they you know they wanted to build their city and keep building it up and 
and they kind of pissed off the kami that lived in that forest you know it's i don't know if we have specifics but i'm imagining you know they're chopping down trees to build their temples and, and whatnot and the the forest kami are like whoa 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 what's what's going on here you're not we're no longer living harmoniously let's just put it that way they mm-hmm. they had differing goals on whether to preserve the forest or to build their own city and so basically the kami who up till that point had been giving powers to the orochi you know it's kind of like hey you're you're our buddy and we're essentially gods here have some power they took that away in a in a heartbeat basically now the orochi were just snake people with no powers and they were kicked out of their homeland so they had to find a new place to fit in in kamigawa and um basically to get their their powers back or um to to be kind of come back to who they used to be the kami made a request that they thought their orochi would never ever accept they're saying, hey, all right, so <clears throat> we will give you your stuff back, but you got to lose your legs and your arms. And they're like, right. all right, well, legs and my arms. That's a lot, but you know what? I'll do it. They wrote you like, you know what? We'll take that. And the comedy were so struck by that. They're like, oh, okay, well, we didn't think, well, we didn't want to take all of them. Um you, you, you can keep some of them. That's fine. And so that's why they just yeah. lost their legs and kept their arms because the Orochi were so focused on trying to get their powers back that they would have given up almost seemingly everything that they had at that point. Because then right. at the end, if you don't have any limbs, what are you, just a fucking snake? Yeah, you're just a fucking snake. You're just a snake. <laughs> you're just a fucking snake. <laughs> and they were willing to just be a fucking snake. So the right. Kami are like, all right, well... You can keep your arms then. <laughs> and so one of the funny things at the end of this little excerpt that they say is like, it's unclear how much of this tale is true and how much of it is Orochi fable meant to impress their young with the importance of reverence and dedication to the kami. But the thing is, we know that it's true, kind of, because we do know that they used to have legs. <laughs> now they don't. So they did lose their legs somehow. And... Uh, I mean, this is as likely an explanation as any. Yeah. Whether it's because they were so gracious to give up all of their limbs. Sure. Yeah. Or the kami were like, I don't know. And they're like, I don't know, my legs? And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll take The way legs. the Orochi tell it is like, yeah. oh, yeah, they asked us to give up our legs. And we're like, we'll give up our arms, too. And they said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so gracious. <laughs> that's, that's, so, uh, yeah, that is the story of that. Um but, uh, hey, you know what's a bit more exciting than that <laughs> is I am interested. The only thing I, w- I oh, sorry, go ahead. did want to mention quickly is that um, because of this Orochi pissing off the Kami, I just remembered this now, so I had to, to jump in. Do it. The, all Gawa were banished from the Jukai forest because the Orochi kind of came into their turf and tried to build their big city. And so later when Azusa's... Remember, this all diary. happens after Azusa. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's why they couldn't find Azusa's diary earlier, because all of the mortals were banished from the Jukai forest after the Orochi pissed off the Kami that, that lived there. And so the historians had to get special permission from the Kami to enter the Jukai forest 
and eventually that's when they found uh, Azusa's last diary. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. But hey, I want to know more about the modern age. I want to know how they went from being seemingly um, archaic to like super advanced, crazy, uh, high-tech motorcycles, neon stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of cool. It is. Um, and it does kind of seem to be a little bit of this arms race between like, strangely enough, the goblins are like working on their inventions. Now, we always have goblins that have some sort of invention thing, but they never seem to be the people pushing the envelope on how great uh, how or how well they can make stuff. That doesn't tend to be a thing that we see in magic lore, but in this world, they are. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so basically, up till this point, and you might have even noticed this just in the stories, but peop- the people who had the Kami's blessing were kind of, you know, the emperor, or they were the, the people, the the people who had lived with the Kami for generations, or, or like the you know, super princess killer of all. Yeah, or you're some sort of warlord or something. Yeah. You had to be doing the Kami's bidding like you were uh, Umazawa, mm-hmm. you know, trying to act on behalf of a deity. Um, and so basically you had to kind of be a person of power, of means already, in order to have any of the blessing of the Kami. And so otherwise you didn't really have access to magic. And so one of the factions that kind of got boned by this was the Aki, the the goblins. They just, for the most part, they were granted very little access to magic from the kami. They were given a little, but it sounds like for whatever reason, their their local deity, maybe the red myogen, uh, wasn't too generous. But what that led to was them developing essentially ways of focusing very little amounts of the kami power into much greater magnitudes that could you know do more serious work so because of this necessity to keep up with everyone else who was getting more help from the kami they invented ways to take a little bit that the kami had given them and magnify it into much greater results and so that was kind of the in the first innovation that came out of the the mountains and the the Aki artisans to uh, that that was one of the the two key factors in the the technology that was developed on this plane. But then, like, kind of, it was boosted greatly by anyone who was kind of granted these kami powers, and um, as you were saying, they're continually trying to uh, match whatever the kami were making, and this arms race pushes things further, as we've seen through, I don't know, whatever else happens in, in our world, um, that the, the harder people are working to to make new technology, the other person's working harder to make the next one. And that's going to push everything into to hyperspeed. And of course, we are, you know, 1,200 years in the future. So uh, it does take quite a right. long time. <laughs> um, but we do get to a place where um, we have all these crazy technologies, s- partly from this magic and partly from this, uh, this real world, uh, innovation. Yeah. And what ends up happening at some point is that essentially the Gawa kind of learn how to draw energy 
in the same way that the kami do without it being given to them by the cop the the kami directly so mm-hmm. instead of having to get their magic or their energy through um devotion to the kami they've figured out ways to do it directly and then of course now we have all these technologies that were built up in order to magnify this energy and stuff and so they're kind of doing it on their own now it doesn't yeah. look the same as the way the kami used the magic it, it comes out in the form of what we would think of as technology but basically exactly because of this arms race you were talking about that you know people with less access to the kami's magic had to keep up with the people who had access to it uh, that's what kind of leads us into essentially the you know uh, the technological revolution that happens yeah. in, in kamikawa interesting it does seem like uh if energy came back that wouldn't be the craziest thing <laughs> uh so uh i get uh, three mc squared uh counters <laughs> um or uh, more more correctly uh m squared c squared plus uh p squared pc squared squared Something like that. Okay, totally. I'll take your word for P it. P squared, C squared. Oh, it's P squared, C squared plus MC squared squared. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, that means absolutely nothing to me, but uh, I'm glad <laughs> that you're on my team. Um, and uh, But basically, this is why we have skyscrapers everywhere in like all the motorcycles and like the neon lights and everything is through this push. Now, we have one last thing that we need to talk about as the world has rapidly changed into this new cyberpunk space that we are excited to see more of in the future um mm-hmm. but we did lots talk of neon lights lots of neon lights um we did talk about a very special tree that is um, yes still around luckily in uh in the heart of tawashi is boseju uh who shelters who all shelters all and well spoiler alert for what we're about to say still shelters all <laughs> yeah so despite the fact that the snake people got kind of boned for building into the jukai forest uh people decided to go for that now and so their main their capital city as i understand it is tawashi mm-hmm. which is you know what you're seeing in the any of the art pieces you might see of a big city it's like the most probably the most developed city in Kamigawa as the skyscrapers and all that and that's been pushing into the boundaries of the Jukai forest so obviously once again that caused a bit of commotion from the the kami and, and other people who believe that the forest you know shouldn't be chopped down to build more skyscrapers um, but eventually they kind of just built a they built an understanding that was basically, hey, we won't push any more into the forest uh, if you leave us alone. Like, I, I don't know what the Kami really got out of this because yeah. it's like, hey, we won't chop down more of your trees if you fuck up. And it's like, they're like, okay, fair. Um, but I guess that's kind of just how these things go, right? Like, if you don't agree to this, we're going to cut down more trees. Yeah, so you've got to agree to it. It, it just <laughs> seems like a like the regular thing that like progression, totally, like yeah. it's going to happen. And like environmentalists are at a disadvantage in the in the fight, even if they're magical stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. So, um, 
But uh, the one thing no one can touch is Boseju, this tree. Mm-hmm. You can build all around this one tree, but you have to keep it because apparently it's like the oldest tree in Kamigawa. You know, it's a, it's a national treasure. You can't get rid of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And so they're like, you know what? Okay, well, if we can't build into it, we'll build up. So then they start building these skyscrapers. They go up and up and up. And as that happens, Boseju's like, hey, I'm supposed to shelter all. And Boseju grows a bit taller and gets higher than the, the highest skyscraper. And then the builders are like, all right, well, I want to be higher than this fucking tree is in the way and it's ruining my views. So yeah. let's make a bigger skyscraper. I so, can't charge as much rent if this fucking tree is. <laughs> exactly. Right. So they make yeah. it a bit higher. And Boseju's like, you know what? Fuck you, I'm getting taller. And it just, every time, it has to be the tallest thing always. And um, it's like this crazy magic tree, man, that like holds Azusa's diary and like all this stuff. Um, But it does eventually, everyone was like, you know what? Just, you know, the tree is going to overshadow you no matter what. So just let it. And it grows really big and tall and has huge branches over everything and like protects the buildings that it uh, is surrounded by. Yeah, I, I love this like little story because, you know, I, I just love the idea that Boseju shelters all and it, it's like, hey, my job is to shelter all. I'm yeah. going to keep going up. I, that's something I'm not sheltering. Let me go up. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the idea of, you know, we see this this story in particular uh, feels very similar to just the life that we live where there's construction all over the place in like yeah, the city. In yeah. <laughs> and in tr- always a new skyscraper that has to go up or, or something or, or some building that you cared about that got knocked down to be built something, some condo or, or whatever. Um, right. So it, it was, it was nice to have this kind of mythical, natural, pure thing that could always be taller than whatever man-made build was there. So um, I enjoyed that. Uh, but uh, so I'm excited to see what that card is going to be or what will represent that um, in this. I guess it will probably be this this saga, um, which I hope that they also make a land that is Boseju, but who, we'll, we'll see. Um, I wouldn't even hate just a Boseju reprint. But. That's true. Just a reprint would be great. Um, but in any case, we are now officially primed for Neon Dynasty bec- with this and uh, and everything that we've seen. Uh, we now live in this city where Moonfolk, Nizumi, humans, and Aki alike all live together with the Kami floating around. And we no longer have this weird genocide thing where we're trying to, to kill every other race or like separate each other. We, uh, we <laughs> as if I live in, in uh, Kamigawa, yeah. um, <laughs> they all live uh, harmoniously or, you know, there's squabbles and things, but... Uh, they they work through them and, and live in Kamigawa together. Yeah, I'm curious where the Neon Dynasty story is going to take us, actually. Mm-hmm. It'll be fascinating. Which, if you want to know, check out next week's episode because we're going to have the scoop <laughs> on that one right there. What? Two drunken Vorthos in a row. That's too good to be true. Uh, oh, my God. But, Jeff, we're not even done. We still have one more beer to get to. So, That's right. Before and I haven't been paying attention, by the way, to which of these I like better. So I have to take a moment here to actually that's, compare. I mean, <laughs> is that different than any other episode we've ever I forgot had? I was going to have to rate these. Episodes. Yeah, classic. <laughs> uh, but with that, Jeff, it is last call. Let's grab the last beer before we rate them all. 
All right, so for our last beer of the night, we have yet another European, well, maybe not. Uh, we're cheating a little bit on this one for our European beer night, but up next we have Belgian Moon. Uh, Jeff, I'm pretty sure it, it's Blue Moon. Blue Moon is what you're uh, Nope, looking right at my can, it clearly says Belgian Moon. So. Yeah, but um, just for everyone who isn't in Canada... Everywhere else, it's Blue Moon. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, but we're living in Canada here. So. Yeah. It's just like, for whatever fucking reason, they decide to market things to Canada completely differently than the rest of the fucking world. I don't get it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just like a few random things, too. Like KD or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, it's not a product that only exists here. It's a product that exists across north america and probably across the world but it's only called that here well uh actually no if you want to hear my rant about kd you have to listen to the after show so go to our patreon to sign up for that um but jeff what's uh what's going on with this uh, blue moon okay it's a uh, blanche belge which means uh belgian white and then below that it even has to inform us a little more. So maybe they were just, con- they thought Canadians would be confused. They're like, okay, if we'd said blue moon, Belgian white, Belgian style wheat ale, they wouldn't understand. So we'll call it <laughs> Belgian moon, Belgian white, Belgian style wheat ale. So they know what they're buying. <laughs> and then at the bottom it says wheat beer <laughs> as well. <laughs> in brackets, Belgian. Belgian. <laughs> Made in, not in Belgium. <laughs> yeah, brewed in North America, right? At the top. <laughs> they said to say Belgian as many times as they legally could, yeah. despite it being brewed in North America. So, Jeff, where is this beer brewed? Just, you know. Uh, North America, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nowhere special or anything, you know, maybe it's in a cool state uh. or... I don't think it's from a cool state. No. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I don't know all my states, but um, I do know this one. So I would say it's not, not a cool one. Well, I mean, it's right in the middle. It's perfectly square. You know, it's... Uh... Sure. No? <sighs> Nothing. Nothing's perfectly square. Whatever. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. It's a rectangle or whatever. Math the, guy. Uh, I know the football <laughs> team sucks. Hey. We might get Aaron Rodgers next year. All right. <laughs> Which means we can almost get there, but we'll just shit the bed. Um, anyway, it's from Golden, Colorado. Come on. This beer is made oh, by Molson oh, Coors. Oh, Colorado. That's where yeah. you're from. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Forgot for a second that you're from there. It's another Belgian beer in Colorado, which means I already have something. Yeah. You know, it's happening. But yeah, this one. I'm just going to read it. You're not reading it. <laughs> it's 5.4%, so it's the heaviest beer of the night, and it was founded in 1995. So this is a fucking... Oh, heaviest little, and most recent. It's a little baby beer. I'm older than this fucking beer. <laughs> what are you, a fucking baby? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to the 1600s if you want to impress me. Just That's kidding. Right. We'll have to get to that right now. Um... Jeff, it's rating time. I'm excited for this. Yeah. So as always, we're going to rate our beers on a scale from silver to silver. Um, (laughs) Silver means macro B. 
beer and, and, and silver means also macro brew. All yeah. right. So we're doing this on uh, silver four to silver one. The idea being that when we get all of our silver ones together, we will eventually have a bracket of the silverest beer that may became gold or platinum, depending on how much we like it. So it is important for us to go through and talk about our favorite beer from this selection because it's going into a, a bigger tournament in the future. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. So starting with, we like to go uh, worst to best, just to build up the drama. So who needs to go first? Me, you, I don't know. Uh, do you have your, your answer ready? I know what my silver four is like. I knew it. All right, then why don't you lead us up? All right, so silver four, the worst beer of the night, the one I was like, wow, I really was let down by this fucking thing. You might. So I already have one in my mind, and I'm curious to see if it's the same. Okay, so my least favorite beer that we had today is Stiegel Silver Four. Mm. Stiegel's my Silver Four. Wow, it's definitely not yours, which is interesting. It was not mine, actually. Wow. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> So that that's I was wondering if we were like this or like this. I think we're, you know, we're I just decided to do more visual cues because that seems to be the the theme of this <laughs> of this episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it seems like we're on different pages. So Jeff, what was your favorite? Or sorry, what was your least favorite? Silver four. So for me, oh, it feels weird saying this too, but the one that just didn't hit for me was Grolsch. I gotta say, okay. Grolsch was the one that that came in a little flat. Uh, I mean, not literally. But, uh, <laughs> well, we know that Pilsner Urkel is the 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 king of selling you a flat beer. So. Yeah, apparently. Um, which coming into my, I'm just gonna go straight into my silver three All because right, it riffs it. off of what you were just saying, which is Grolsch. I was very un. Uh, all right, at least at least you didn't like rate Grolsch as your number one, and I was like, oof, that no, trash. It it was a happy, like bump up from Stiegel, mm. but I really didn't love drinking Stiegel at the beginning, and I was like, oh, I really hope things yeah. are get better than this, and and they did. Whether yeah. that's because I had more beer or not is up to up to interpretation. But what's your silver three? Oh, this is really close for me, but. Um, I think I have to give this to Belgian Moon. Personally. Wow. I know. Um, it's just like, for me, wheat ales or wheat beers are already a tough sell. I find them pretty tough to brew properly. And so like a silver wheat beer, it's kind of delivering what I expect from it, which is not much. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> interesting. I'm really like I think it it gets some it gets by on being different from all the other silver beers, but if I'm comparing this to like wheat beers or just which one I actually want okay. to drink, I don't think I would choose this one. I I would choose one of the other ones. This it's, one was really close though. That's this is why I needed to like push back because uh, I wasn't sure how my two and three were going to be ordered. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me what your two is because I think I know what I'm going to do. All right. Well, my two is Stiegel. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh, okay. All right. So I think 
wow, this puts me in a really rough situation because I was in a certain place, but now I'm like, do I do it? Um, There's no metagaming, just just whatever one you actually enjoyed the most. I know. Uh, that means yeah, I'm, I, I didn't come in thinking that this was going to be the case, but my silver two is going to be the Pilsner Urquell. Classic. And, and so... Now you're rating, you're rating it not because of where it's from. I just have to say, you're not allowed to, to care about where it's from. No, 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 no. It, no. Actually, to you're be like, okay. it's from Colorado. I guess that's my number one. So I, so I picked Belgian, uh, sorry, Blue Moon as my number one. Um, wow, he's going to write the American. <laughs> and, and, and this is, I wanted to, to tell you my thought process, actually, when um, I was literally talking to Catherine before we were doing this, what I thought I was going to pick. Um, from mm-hmm. from blind blinds uh, looking, haven't tasted them in a while, and uh, I don't know if it's because I've had a few beers before the Belgian Moon, um, or the Blue Moon. I I've, I will order Blue Moon at a bar often enough, um, but almost exclusively, it has to have an orange. Almost always, okay. if someone gives me a Blue Moon without an orange, I usually get. A little irritated and it's not the beer I want to drink now it might be because um, I had a bunch of beers before this and it tastes orange enough I can taste the orange in it that it it's makes definitely more, orange yeah. make, it has orange and coriander is like the big notes from it um, and I don't know if that's the reason why I'm actually liking it a lot more right now but I was expecting to like the Pilsner Urquell the most um, huh. because just because I've had it before and was really surprised. Like I remember getting it randomly with um, her stepdad, who's like a huge Pilsner guy. He loves Pilsners and Stella is like one of his favorite beers and anything that's like lager or Pilsner. That's what he wants. Stella did do well in our. Yeah. And so, and, and it seems like he has a really good taste for these beers as well. He can really tell if it's not the one he likes. Um, And this is one of the ones he really likes. And I remember, tasting with him and being like oh i do like this one and uh, so i was expecting right. to like it the most um but having this one right here i was like you know what i think i like this one the most crazy crazy enough i thought this might have been one of my least favorites actually so so you know what's funny is i thought my favorite was going to be grolsch mm. going in because i was like i've had that the most i so i would probably just identify with the taste mm-hmm. the closest but now I wonder if it's almost had the opposite effect that like I expected good things from it and then was just re it came in really flat. I just remember taking that first sip and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> not for me. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, like that's literally what I felt with Stiegel was like, ugh, this is not good. I don't like this. It's why it's so fun to do this, though, because like some beers that you just have marketing thoughts about or like, you know, just different pre-grained pre-like trained opinions on you come and you do this one you're like oh i actually you know i actually don't like sapporo you know i yeah i really do like you know i like bud light a lot more than i thought i did (laughs) yeah like and you literally have to be like you know what i can't i can't fault myself it's it's not a blind taste test because that's really putting the pressure on um right but uh, right, so those things still do play a factor, but they still have a little bit of a factor. But most of the time, when we go into these things, I expect myself to like something a certain way, 
and I tend to be yeah. different. And like I'm, and the reason we do this is to be really open and hope that what we thought originally was wrong. Because why would yeah. I care to continue to tell you that this is the best Pilsner or the original Pilsner? You know, like it, right. that's not my, I'm not, I'm not sponsored by them. I don't care. You know, I'm trying to tell you what I think about these things. Spent like 10 minutes making fun of their beer pouring. Exactly. Place, so. And their website <laughs> is stupid and ridiculous. Um, but, uh, but they make a good beer. And that's literally what I was thinking as we were drinking it. I was like. The, yeah, but like, like this tastes I know, good. While we were making fun of it, I'm like it's pretty good. Though. It's pretty good. It's a good beer. It definitely has a completely different taste than Grolsch. Like, the, like it's it's funny that like it's they we were saying oh you know maybe Pilsner or Quell isn't as good as Grolsch because it was older. But like no, it totally is this these Czech uh, ingredients and um, I do like the yeah. one. I think just. If I go back or you go to a bar or like in the LCBO, I'm probably going to pick up a Belgian moon or a blue moon before I pick up this Pilsner. So that's just how it is. I think this this might have been one of the silver series where we differed the most. I really think so. Like we weren't even, did we agree on anything? No. (laughs) Usually we have like the same bottom two and the same top two and Mm -hmm. maybe one of those is in a different order or something. Yeah. So, um... Anyway, in this case, um, if you become a patron on the show, you can see our list of beers and all of our ratings and all those things. Um, But with this, uh, basically it comes out to because Pilsner was your number one and my number two, it will get the most points and the Pilsner Urquell will move on to the next round. Yeah, and it looks like uh, Blue Moon is going to come in second here Mm -hmm. because uh, my number two was your least favorite yeah and it was your number one there we go there we go but jeff oh i hate to say it but it is closing time on the silver series oh damn it i was having so much fun i know but luckily we have an after party so if you want to check that out go to our patreon i'm going to plug that one more time before we plug ourselves (laughs) um if you haven't heard we have a patreon just by the way um, it has content do you want to go there anyway if you want to talk to us about how we plug our patreon way too much you can go to arena regulars on twitter and instagram and bitch at me which is totally fine i encourage it you try to make me upset oh he lo- he loves it he loves it yeah uh, you know you know tell him that the way that pilsner urkel tapsters pour their beers is the correct way <laughs> you can also look for us on arena under the name username arena regulars podcast you can't really say anything to us there though but uh you can complain internally when we top deck the perfect card. Yeah, because we definitely will. Um, if you want to talk to me personally, uh, you can find me at Zulberg. That's Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G on Twitter and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, B-L-U-E-S-B-R-E-W-S-M-T-G. So that's Blues Brews M-T-G. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Anywhere that you are listening to this podcast right now, just give us a follow, give us a like, go to our YouTube channel, watch our draft videos because we have a lot of fun with that. Uh, we're going to get some more out of um, some more of those out uh, soon. And uh, so keep an eye out. Uh, we really just want to, you know, engage with everyone and have an active audience. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is it is fun as well. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you that... Kanta's a dickhead. Good night.
right, that's fine. 